Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the weekend special of the Federalist Files on today's show. Biden's joint address to Congress, the frivolous spending in the American Families Plan, statistics show the rich pay more than their fair share in taxes, racist liberals, white liberals have higher rates of mental illness, and the police state goes after Rudy Giuliani. first century. We're at a great inflection point in history. We have to do more than just build back better. We build back, we have to build back better. We have to compete more strenuously than we have. Throughout our history. That is the human gap machine and your president or uh, vice former vice president Joe Biden, soon to be not president with Kamala Harris taking over the reins. So Biden, as always, uh, I come in with this middle of the week current event segment, really kind of slow news, and then boom, news explodes shortly thereafter. So Biden had his joint uh, Congress, it was a joint session, I think, where he would he addressed Congress. A lot of people were claiming this was the State of the Union address. It's not really a State of the Union technically. State of the Union is actually laid out in the Constitution. So, you know, so many people were invited, everyone had to wear masks, it was really a theater-like event, and I'll get to that later, but there's a lot of things that were rolled out uh, through this address to the, to the Congress, a lot of spending, a lot of just false statements, and at the very end of this show, I will give you a, uh, a link to an actual Washington Post segment, a Washington Post piece where they go through a lot of the lies thus far in the first 100 days of the Biden administration. It's very interesting. There's so many lies, especially in terms of um, how how we're going to pay for some of these things, bringing jobs back to America, just, just many, many lies. Uh, and a lot of things that are to be feared from the conservative side. If you like low taxes, you like a free country, you like free government, he kind of really hit all the nails on the head, the liberal uh, progressive agenda policy, talking about gun control, talking about high taxes on the rich, talking about bringing jobs back to the United States that won't be brought back to the United States because with higher taxes, it's just not possible. Uh, talking about creating jobs through taxation of more people and having them as government jobs and taking away, uh, overhauling the entire energy system, the whole Green New Deal uh, gig what else? I mean, it was it was really just a liberal uh, pie. It was just it was just a bunch of liberal ideology, and then at the very end, I think he kind of he stayed away generally from a lot of the race stuff. And the very until the very I think it was the very end where he kind of offloaded all of that. By the time everybody was already sleeping because it was such a boring event, then he kind of went through all of that. So I have four examples of bad economics in Biden's address uh, to Congress. And I'm going to go over, I, I don't really have many clips. It's just so, from, from that specific address, because it's just so, it's been everything I've been covering this entire time. He'll go through how free healthcare is going to work. I'll have one for that. But first, I want to get to these uh, these four examples of the bad economics in Biden's address to Congress. This is a uh, 
Foundation for Economic Freedom piece written by Brad Palumbo. So number one, he wanted to go over the crediting big government policies with economic recovery that was always bound to happen. And what he did was he was talking about how great it was that they got stimulus out to the people. Oh, there's actually a quote here. So Biden, he boasted that supposedly, thanks to his massive COVID spending, massive COVID spending bill, the economy created more than 1.3 million new jobs in 100 days, more new jobs in the first 100 days, any president on record. Uh, he also cited projections that, and I quote, our economy will grow at a rate of more than 6% this year, the fastest pace of economic growth in this country in nearly four decades. So in both of these cases, he is correct. But here's really the point that we're missing. Actually, the Congressional Budget Office is saying that it's not going to be 6% this year. They're saying it's going to be 3.7, which would be a huge disappointment for the economy. But the economy was always going to rebound from these lockdowns and these restrictions. And it's because as you lifted some of these lockdowns and restrictions, obviously the economy, if you compare a, a crappy economy last year and now you and now you compare a uh, unimpeded economy, which is going to eventually happen this year, hopefully, God willing, probably in the middle of the summer, if I had a guess, I just saw an article, the New York State, uh, New York City specifically is going to open everything up, I think it was June 1st, so I think when this summer hits, things are really going to start skyrocketing, hopefully, for, the, for everyone to get their jobs back, but all of these things are going to happen in perpetuity, and the year before, it was a almost a total sham of a year, so yes, we should have an increase of 6%, and we should be able to create more jobs. The reason that there was 1.3 million new jobs created, there really weren't jo new jobs. There were technically just jobs people went back to. And what he's he's stating, it's, oh, it's because of the spending bill that we passed, as if the government is the one that employs people, and that is just not the case. It's just finally business being able to do what they always do, and the government taking money from the future in their DeLorean and then handing it to people now and the people in the future are going to have to pay for it. So number two was him touting the merits of by American uh, government policies. And I thought Brad Palumbo kind of has this libertarian take on this. In general, the uh, Foundation of Economic Freedom, they're pretty much full of libertarians. And he does have a lot of very important points. He makes the point where Bringing American, to begin with, you're not going to bring American jobs back to America by taxing the rich, by taxing everybody, because you disincentivize people from running their business here. So you're really not going to hold American jobs here. You can do it through government policies. And that's what Brad Plum was alluding to. He's saying, oh, we're going to have these buy America policies where we're going to make it so you have to buy American. And we're going to tax everybody else to hell outside of the country. But the problem with doing all of that is you make this country itself, you make people that live in this country pay more for their goods and their products because they're being paid, they're being made in a more expensive way rather than getting it from overseas. There are certain products that you can specifically get those uh, goods overseas cheaper just because the labor's cheaper or the natural resources are different. They have better supply of natural resources in those opposing countries where they're going to send them over here rather than us sit here and try to dig up those resources ourselves here. I mean, it's just it's more sensible to buy from another country and, and to get a better price for the people. The one thing that has changed over time in America more than anything is, you could say, yeah, we've had inflation, we've had people increase in their incomes, but more than anything, the spurring of the economy is the fact that goods, products, supplies, things that you buy, uh, whether it's band-aids, toothpaste, 
Uh, you want a computer, you want a car. Everything is become cheaper, uh, especially if you price it in with inflation. Everything is actually, especially unregulated, things have become much cheaper than they ever were before. Uh, years ago, if you wanted to buy something new, like, for example, when TVs come out, it's a very unregulated market. TVs will come out, they'll have the newest one, the Ultra HD, it'll be, you know, $2,000. In, in a room right next to me, I have a TV that a couple of years ago, probably five years ago, six years ago, was $2,000. Right now, if you wanted that exact same TV, it would be maybe 500 bucks. So that's the way that a free market, free economy works. And by making it all made in America, bought in America... It's not going to work that way. The people themselves are going to be having the same wages. They're going to be making the same amount of money, but they're actually going to be paying more for products, thus taking more money out of their pockets. So he goes on to the third point. False promises about not taxing the middle class. And this is probably, these are the biggest ones I'm going to kind of go over the taxation uh, in this, in this uh, show. So more importantly, the real economic cost of Biden's proposed tax hikes on quote-unquote big business would be largely borne by average Americans and workers. Indeed, one study found that the president's proposed corporate tax increase will lead to an average income loss of $1,650 per household, which we've gone over those statistics before. I don't remember. I think it was the Tax Foundation specifically uh, that had that study. So the number... and. So every single time when people talk about even even the taxation of corporations, you have to think, okay, so who is the corporation? Is the corporation one person? No. The corporation is not Jeff Bezos. Uh, Amazon is owned by Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is probably, I would say, the primary stockholder. Um, actually, to be honest with you, I don't know if he is actually the primary stockholder. He might not be the owner. He was the CEO for a very long time. He may be the stock owner, whatever. Corporations are made up of people. When you decide to tax a corporation, you're not taxing Jeff Bezos in his wallet directly. You're taxing everyone else that gets paid working for that company. Thus, the people there are going to get less of raises. They're going to get less of uh, benefits. Certain specific things they'll do. Oh, you won't get as many days off as you usually do. As much sick leave, as much annual leave, uh, personal days. You're just not going to get that at the business. So that's... And then this this idea... And, th and that's really the point is that if you increase this corporate tax rate, you're going to see a bunch of people make less money, essentially. And this money's supposed to go to the government, but really what ends up happening is it doesn't go to the government. The government makes about the same, if not less, because there's only so much that people are willing to pay percentage-wise in taxation historically. What will happen is the tax will raise, the government will actually bring in less money in taxation because people will be less willing to pay the taxes, so they'll outsource jobs and they'll outsource uh, money that is made in this country. They'll outsource it to other countries. So number four is the straw man attacks on trickle down economics. And this is probably the biggest, the biggest one. And this is probably the biggest uh, difference in the left and the right when it comes to just economics, jobs, the way that we both view the economy. The left has this, this fallacy, this idea of trickle down economics, which has never really actually been uttered by any decent, you know, somewhat reasonable economist ever. It's, it's this fake idea that if you give tax cuts to the guys all the way at the top, then they're going to somehow just hand money to the people at the bottom. And that's just not the case. And they always claim it, as in that's like a Republican conservative standard that the libertarians and the conservatives say all the time. So I'm going to go on to explain this. So in the address, Biden renewed a familiar anti-capitalist trope by attacking a straw man version of free market economics. And this is what he stated. He stated in that quote, My fellow Americans, trickle-down economics has never worked. 
It's time to grow the economy from the bottom up and middle out. A broad consensus of economists, left, right, center, agree that what I'm proposing will help create millions of jobs and generate historic economic growth. Um, now, for starters, this is Brad Palumbo now. For starters, trickle-down economics is not a thing. <laughs> it doesn't really describe actual free market policy or free market theory about how the economy works. It's a caricature term critics beat up on that is almost never used by its supposed adherents. And no such, no such broad consensus of economists exists in support of many of these Biden's more radical policy proposals. In fact, even liberal economist and former Obama official Larry Summers has critiqued Biden's early agenda as the least responsible macroeconomic policy in 40 years. So let me just explain. And you know what's even crazier? He actually at one point, and I put it up on my Facebook page, he said the unions built the middle class. I don't know where he came up with that. It's the middle, If anything, the middle class built the unions. You're making it like the unions built people. Making like if it wasn't for unions, people would have been poor their entire lives. Is what he is what he's pretty much alluding to, and that's just not the case. The case is the middle class built the unions. Okay, but first off, to get to this whole idea, this trickle down economics, the point, the point of lower taxation, less like regulation, is there is a creation of wealth in that. Allow me to explain. As I explained before, products have been cheaper. The more money, the less taxation on anyone in a general sense affords them the ability to make more products at a cheaper rate. Thus, people go buy the products that are at a cheaper rate. They are saving money. Now, that them saving money and the person that is making the product saving money is not a trickle-down economics. It's not the, the person at the top just handing money to the, to the person at the bottom or the person that's paying for the goods. It is the people being allowed to keep their money that they make and they worked for and other people able to with their money that they that they worked for, spend it on a product that is now cheaper because of less regulation as well as less taxation on the product. So having a and then and having a lower taxation is the point of that. You have uh you have more freedom to work with this this ta how much your product costs, how much you sell the product for, what your net profit is. You have more room for all of that. You don't have to worry about the government impeding. When people are actually worried about taxation, let's say your sales tax is high, which is they call a consumption tax, you are less willing to buy products when you realize that the taxation is high. Guess what happens with that now? The government actually takes in less money because you're not even spending the money. If you're telling me, uh, for example, I buy love beef jerky. I will buy every every uh, couple months, I'll buy like $100 worth of beef jerky, just pounds of beef jerky, right? If you're telling me the taxation on beef jerky is 50%, I'm much less willing to buy that beef jerky. And that is not something that is a core necessity for me. That is just a product. We're not talking about water. We're not talking about just like regular food. You can't live off beef jerky, really. I mean, if you could try to, it's probably, you'll probably be in very poor health and you'll have some heart conditions. But the point that I'm making is if you want to... Uh, if you have a 50% tax or a high tax on anything, then you're less likely to spend your money because you know you're going to get hit with a tax. It's another reason in the stock market why a lot of people will hold on for long-term investment. And that's the reason why the stock market generally stays at like a, you know, a, a even flow. It isn't as volatile as cryptocurrency where it's going up and down 15 to 30% every couple of weeks. That's a free market. The, the, 
the crypto market is much more of a free market than the stock market because the stock market is so heavily taxed and regulated you can only buy and sell buy and sell this in this time period you have to wait for the money to clear then when you wait for the money to clear if you buy and sell the same product more than twice then they hit you with uh then any of your losses aren't actually a tax deduction there's all these rules that pretty much force investors to hold on and because they don't want to pay the third let's say it's going to be a short-term gain i want to say something like 30 percent taxed a a uh, long-term gain is around 20%. So people want to dodge that extra 10%, and what they'll do is they'll just long-term it. That's really the point here. It's anything people do to dodge taxation. And if you tax people more, just in a general sense, it negatively affects everybody else and their business. If you're going to tax me on my income 50%, if I want to go buy a firearm, and the firearm manufacturers, as well as the federal firearms licensor or dealer, uh, if they want to sell, if they sell firearms for a living, and I go, well, my income's taxed fifty percent. I don't have the money to go buy that now. That's all it is, simply. Uh, so next, he says Biden made other economically unfounded claims, like arguing that unions build the middle class and that a fifteen dollar minimum wage will uplift Americans in poverty. Of course, of course, it's good to hear out our elected officials as they make the case for their policy agenda, but we should always be skeptical of their claims. As economist Thomas Sowell famously said, and I quote, The first lesson of economics is scarcity. There is never enough of anything to fully satisfy all those who want it. The first lesson of politics is to disregard the first lesson of economics, end quote. So, just, so politicians, essentially, they uh, disregard economics. They disregard the supply and demand market. Uh, so here, here's what Biden had to say about health care, how there's going to be free health care. And then he talks about who's going to be paying for it and who has not been paying their fair share. Uh, play five. Health care should be a right, not a privilege in America. So, how do we pay for my jobs and family plan? I made it clear we can do it without increasing the deficits. Let's start with what I will not do. I will not impose any tax increase on people making less than $400,000. But it's time for corporate America and the wealthiest 1% of Americans to just begin to pay their fair share. Just a fair share. So I have that's Biden's little soliloquy about how people should be paying their fair share, people that are rich. And that's to fund this Biden's American family plan that he uh, kind of proposed. And I have this Breitbart piece. It's written by Wendell Hughesbow. And they went over this is actually before the address, but there's usually a copy handed out to everybody. Uh, now, the idea of a State of the Union address, I think, is stupid. I think it's kind of mon monarchical. It's kind of like a ro royal family kind of thing. I'm not a huge fan of it because what they do is they go on their little rants, they show for their party, and then people stand up and they clap, whoever agrees or disagrees. So what the Democrat Party goes out is we need more government spending, we need more for this, we need more for that. And um, then the Republicans don't stand and they don't clap for what the Democrats propose. And then when it was Donald Trump, it was the other way around. It was the same way. 
And really, the problem with what the Democrats say is the Republicans, yeah, obviously they want clean water. Yeah, they want kids to be more intelligent, go to better schools. But the problem is, is everything that's being proposed by the Democrat Party, they don't agree with. So then they don't stand up and clap. And it just it's just all optics. The whole thing is stupid. The Republicans being told while vaccinated, every single person in that room was vaccinated, being told while vaccinated that they had to wear a mask and socially distance. They should have just all not shown up, really. Essentially, that's that's what they all should have. If they had any backbone, they should have just not shown up to show how stupid of a policy that is. And I've been fighting with liberals on this. If you are vaccinated, there is no reason to wear a mask. And what well, my answer is, if you can't make the risk assessment, find a study that proves that people with vaccination are still at significant risk of contracting coronavirus and dying from coronavirus. And here is the truth of the facts. You will not find those numbers. You will not find numbers that show it is a significant risk. It is something like a point, I think 0.05 of a percentage point. It is, it is so decimal. It is so small. It is so insignificant. And it is at the end of the day, every single day we go out there, we make risk assessments and everything that we do. When I get into my car to drive to work every single day, there's a risk assessment. I can die on my way to work every single day. I can die on my way home from work every day. You go to answer your phone, you're four times more likely to get in a car accident. You're texting on your phone, you're 24 times more likely to get in a car accident. So we make these risk assessments every single day. And in this case, there really is no risk assessment. It is just listen to Fauci, listen to the bureaucrats at the CDC. And no one yet, and if you're liberal and you're listening... I would love to hear from you. You can comment on my page, comment on whatever you want. You can send me an email. I'll have it in the description below. If you find a statistical study that proves that there's a significant risk to people that have been vaccinated of contracting and dying from coronavirus, and you're not going to find it because I've looked it up. You, you, I know you're not going to find it. It's just not truthful. It's not factual. If that was the case, then what would be the point of having the vaccination in the first place? So this is the way that Biden, he's going to fund his American uh, family's plan. So, to start, President Joe Biden will introduce a reported $1.8 trillion, so he introduced like a $1.8 trillion American Families Plan, also called Human Infrastructure Proposal Wednesday uh, in his 5,000-word speech. Apparently, a 5,000-word speech for a normal person takes like 35 minutes to read off. It took him about an hour and 10 minutes to read off. So this, this infrastructure plan, the human, they're calling it in the Breitbart piece, the human infrastructure plan, it includes $109 billion for free college, tuition for dreamers, free two-year community college for all, free universal pre-K, free aid for minority-serving institutions, a free family leave program, and an expansion of the child tax credit. And that is all truthful. That's, that's what he came out and said. So this universal pre-K, he wants kids to be going to school. I think when they're for free when they're like three years old. He said something like, we're going to add another four years to the public education program, which if you want your kid in school when they're three, I mean, it's just to me it sounds unbelievable if you want them in public school when they're three years old. So to pay for the social welfare expansion, Biden intends to tax the rich by collecting $700 billion over 10 years, partly through stricter IRS enforcement tactics as reported by the Daily Mail. Biden also plans to... Focus on corporations and high-worth individuals who may be hiding income with new disclosure requirements for large companies, business estates, and higher-income individuals where the majority of the underreported and tax noncompliance currently is. 
So I guess the first person that he should look into is probably him and all of his hacks that are up on uh, Capitol Hill, because I'm sure those are the people that are probably dodging the most taxes. So reverse the 2017 tax cuts is another thing he wants to implement. So he can raise the top marginal tax rate on wealthy Americans to 39.6%, up from the now 37%, with a focus on those in the top 1%. He also wants to raise capital gains tax rates for households that earn more than $1 million a year. I'm telling you, that's not the way it's going to work. He's, this is going to be, these are all lies. They're going to implement this, and they're going to tax middle-class families. So he will also close a loophole known as step-up basis that allows the wealthy to escape taxes on accumulated gains when they leave it to their heirs but will exempt family-owned businesses and farms when given to heirs who will continue to run them. I don't know. Um, so this whole thing's ridiculous. The idea is that he wants to continue to tax the 1% or the top 10%. And just, this is the actual, this is the case. I have this marketwatch.com piece. And I think their data is all derived from the Pew Research Center, I'm pretty sure. No, the Tax Policy Center. My apologies. 2015 tax year from the Tax Policy Center. So yes, it's somewhat relative. I mean, there are more recent studies, and the recent studies actually are much worse. You have the 1% paying more than they are in these studies. So this one's written by uh, Katie Hill. The rich pay more than their fair share. It's a market watch piece. So an estimated 45.3% of American households, roughly 77.5 million, will pay no federal income t tax, according to the data from the 2015 tax year from the Tax Policy Center, a nonpartisan Washington-based research group. Roughly half pay no federal income tax because they have no taxable income, and the other roughly half, half get enough tax breaks to erase their tax liability explains Robertson Williams, a senior fellow at the Tax Policy Center. So to try to sum this up, yeah, you're going to, while you're earning through the years, through the year, you are getting a federal tax withholding, the government's holding taxes, right? But when you go to file at the end of the year, depending on what your income is, the government is giving you all that money and actually then some, some of the time. If you're, if you're 45, so we almost have half of the country uh, half of American households almost don't pay any federal income tax. They get all their money handed right back to them. Now, yes, they may pay state income tax, but it's not the same as the federal income tax because we're talking about specifically policies coming from the administration, the federal government. So despite that fact, rich people paying little in the way of uh, income taxes makes plenty of headlines. Despite that fact, really, the narrative from the mainstream or, or rather the corporate media hack jobs is that the rich don't pay enough. So this is an exception to the rule. The top 1% of taxpayers pay a higher effective income tax rate than any other group, around 23%, according to the report released by the Tax Policy Center in 2014. Nearly seven times higher than those in the bottom 50%. So they're paying 23%. Those people that are in the bottom 50% probably are paying, uh, what, 2 or 3% then if it's seven times higher. Yes, they'd be paying 3% effectively. So on average, and this is really the more important numbers here, and I'm going to have a chart as well. 
uh, on average, those in the bottom 40% of the income spectrum end up getting money from the government. So they'll pay at the end of the year when they go to report, they end up getting money handed to them by the government. Meanwhile, the richest 20% of Americans by far pay the most in income taxes. They fork over nearly 87% of all the ta income tax collected by the federal government. So you have 20% of the Americans, and this is the Pareto's principle. 20% uh, of the people do 80% of the work. 80% of the people do 20% of the work. In this case, it's actually more than that. It's 20% of the people are doing 87% of the work. So what I have here is this chart, and this is uh, the sourced by the Tax Policy Center. 2015 taxes. So the lowest 20% actually has an average income tax bill per person of negative $643. So that's actually what the government is giving them. They're giving them, they have a effective negative, they have a 2.2% negative tax rate as in the government is handing them money. Uh, the second lowest 20%, which is, you know, from, from 20 to 40%. They are they are getting taxed at a negative one point seven percent. They're getting six hundred twenty one dollars handed to them back by the government. Uh, middle income, their tax they get taxed four point two percent. So they're on average they're paying seventeen hundred forty three to the federal government. The second richest twenty percent, as in the from sixty to eighty percent, is paying twelve point nine percent, which is also known as six thousand two hundred eighty five per person. And then you have the richest 20%, and this is where 86.8% of the federal taxes are paid by this richest 20%. They, each individual person, they're paying $50,000 to the federal government. So it is it is very obvious who's paying all of the money to the federal. Me, in my opinion, I think there should be a flat tax. I also do think that the government should be much more limited, less money being thrown into the government, so we wouldn't have to sit here and fight over who's paying to the federal government. Uh, the top 1% of Americans who have an average income of more than $2.1 So we have the top 1% of earners. Now, this is the top 1%. Their average income is $2.1 They pay 43.6%. They almost pay half. 1% of the country pays almost half of the federal income tax. Now, the top 0.1%. So we're talking the, the 1 out of every 1,000, uh, which is just considered 115,000 households in this country, whose average income is more than $9.4 million, they pay more than 20% of it. So we have one out of 1,000 people pay 20% of the taxes. It's, it's crazy, and I think that the numbers are even higher now. Now, when it comes to all the federal taxes, individual income, payroll, excise, uh, corporate income, estate taxes, those are more spread out because everybody's paying them. This is partially because nearly everyone pays these uh, taxes, and it also includes gasoline, alcohol, and cigarettes, which I've, I just recently saw that they're they're looking to ban menthol cigarettes as if they're somehow, like, I don't know if they're more deadly or more lethal than regular cigarettes or if they just don't want to ban that flavor. I don't really, I don't really specifically understand where the government gets off banning. If they're going to ban one cigarette, how are they not going to ban all of them is the first thing. And the second, not that I'm calling for a double ban on cigarettes. I'm not calling for any ban on cigarettes at all. I'm not, even, I'm not a smoker, but you do what you want, you know what I mean? I just don't really understand it. Uh, a lot of people are calling it racist because black Americans generally are the ones that smoke menthols much more than any any other uh, group. But just to get back to this study here, now rich people pay 69% of all federal taxes in America. So if you want to talk about the richest, the top 20% in, in general, uh, the share of federal taxes 
they pay 69%. Now that has nothing to do with the income. That's everything across the board. The rich is 20%. So that, that's including your um, social security, all that other stuff. They pay 69%. So there's a huge scale and is tipping on the 1% or the tw top 20% in this country is really paying uh, the crux, the, the most of the of the tax. And if you actually look at what the, they call it, I think Steven Crowder talks about it very often. He talks about the net, ta net taxes that you're seeing about half the country doesn't even pay their, their fair share. They're literally getting paid out by the government, which I think is a huge problem. That shouldn't even be, ha that shouldn't be happening at all. There shouldn't be an incentive not to work so the government can pay you back at the end of the year. You should have a set number. That's it. Whatever the percentage is, it gets taken. When you go to file at the end of the year, they're not taking more from you and they're also not giving you more in return. So what I have next is is right after this this big you know liberal spending package bill, or or rather address that Biden gave to the Congress collectively, you had Tim Scott. He came out with a dissenting opinion. He talked for about 30, 45 minutes, pretty much just saying America's not a racist country. He goes anecdotally, I've had my own cases and scenarios where I felt like I was treated unfairly because of the uh, color of my skin, but I don't think that this country is is systemically racist. And then he also came through with a couple of unifying messages. I'm not really a huge fan of Tim Scott. I think he's kind of milk toasty. I don't think he's like a true, true conservative. But I don't think he deserved all the hate that he got from the leftist mob. So what I have is I have Joy Behart and what she had to say on The View. Uh, play two. Tim Scott, he, he, he does not seem to understand, and a lot of them don't seem to understand, the difference between um, a racist country and a systemic and systemic racism they don't seem to get the difference yes maybe it's not a racist country maybe americans the majority are not racist but we live in a country with systemic racism we discussed it this week again already about housing and about education and and and, and all of the things that are important to people and um and and the fact that tim scott cannot acknowledge this is 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 appalling how can you go out there and say that when you just said two minutes ago that you were the, the object and the, vi the victim of discrimination? And then he says that this is not a racist country. At least acknowledge that there is systemic racism. That's what I wanted to hear from him, and he didn't say it. Man, that is just such an elitist uh, perspective. So we have a rich, a multimillionaire, a woman that all she does is she goes on TV for a living. She spouts democratic propaganda, talking points, focus group tested uh, topics and answers to a mass audience of a bunch of people that are ignorant and have no idea what they're talking about in politics. And she's angry because Tim Scott disagrees with her and doesn't uh, authorize and corroborate her narrative that she's trying to play on everybody else. And then when she goes to talk even talk about, oh, well, we want better education for kids, we want this and that. Yeah, all these places where this is lacking, where there's not good education for kids, there's not clean water, these are all places that are run by Democrats. It is run by your party. It is run by the people that you extol, the propagated ones, the great ones, the exalted ones, the anointed ones. You are the one. This is this is your party. Your party's the one that creates all this pro these problems, and then you yell and you scream and then you run on the problems that you created yourself, 
And then when someone steps up and says, well, I disagree with your narrative. I disagree with your, ide your ideology of systematic racism as a black dude. And then you have the white woman telling you, well, well, there is, there's oppressive systematic racism. You need to agree with it. You need to feel like uh, you're oppressed. You need to feel like a victim because this is what the Democrat party wants from everybody. They want everyone to be a victim. So they can come and they can use their big daddy government to save them. I think it's funny coming from a woman that wore blackface years ago. And then as well with, I saw a uh, Jimmy Kimmel clip where he was making fun of Tim Scott because he's the only black guy in the Republican Party that's a senator. And then on the other side, uh, the Democrat Party only has two black guys that are senators there. So I don't really see the the comparison. Like, oh, what he's really saying is, oh, look how racist the Republican Party is. Only one person is black that's in the Republican Party that's a senator. And once again, this is Jimmy Kimmel, another guy that's known for wearing blackface. I think he tried to emulate, I think it was Carl Malone he was trying to emulate at the time. And I'm not sitting here throwing, I'm not the guy that throws out, you know, the race card. But if you guys are going to sit here and call people racist, and then meanwhile, you guys are all going to parties, you're all wearing blackface at the time. Oh, it was acceptable then, but it's not acceptable now, but it was acceptable for you to do it. And now you can hold an opinion on how unacceptable it is. It's just so uh, hypocritical, and that's probably what really annoys and infuriates people that are on the right side, is that the left can continu continuously be hip hypocritical, and the media will carry their water, and it won't be a problem. And this actually shows that the real, the real, you know, the big, the bigotry, the racism, the real discrimination now in today's day and age has nothing to actually do with race. It's much more what your political ideology is. If you're a conservative, it's a it's a huge problem. You're rejected by society. Um, that comes before anything. Being conservative or being a Democrat or or uh, a liberal, though that actually comes first in the intersectionality scale. And it shows in this case, in this scenario, where my next source, I have a Newsbusters piece. People were calling Uncle Tim. They were calling Tim Scott Uncle Tim, as in a play on words with Uncle Tom. It was trending on Twitter for something like 12 hours until Twitter actually had to, you know, act on it. And if you go to the Newsbusters piece, there's many quotes from many other celebrities, a lot of them actually happening to be white as well, calling him Uncle Tim. <laughs> it's just, and But the left can do it. The left is, it's okay for them to do it. They're the anointed ones because the media carries their water. So they can say whatever they want. They're not racist, but everybody else on the other side's racist somehow. It's just that it is amazing to me it really it truly is amazing to me so like i said i had that washington post piece uh that'll have the 100 days all the lies that come from biden so what i wanted to next get to i want to get to these stories of uh still wearing a mask i know this is like a huge still i can't even believe it's still a debate right now the idea of wearing a mask after being vaccinated and especially even outside. So uh, check out what Joe Biden has to say about wearing a mask outside Play 9. If you're fully vaccinated and you're outdoors, you need, and not in a big crowd, you no longer need to wear a mask. I want to be absolutely clear. If you're in a crowd, like a stadium or at a conference or a concert, you still need to wear a mask, even if you're outside. So at this point, I don't really know what the point of getting vaccinated is. There's no incentive to doing so. No matter what, you're still, at the end of the day, still going to have to wear a mask. No matter what case you're in, whatever the situation is. The worst part is watching kids do it because I'll you know, drive by school or 
I'll drive around my my neighborhood. You see kids getting off the bus or walking home from school. They're still wearing the mask. We have these little kids that are we're planning on uh, these little kids. We're making them kind of live in fear because a lot of these older people have no dignity. They have no courage. They're cowards, and they think that everybody should have to change their lifestyle to make them feel more comfortable. So the media will never miss a step on what the Democrat Party tells them to do. So Joy Reid, MSNBC, check out what she has to say about wearing masks outside. Play seven. And Dr. Gupta, I am among the fully vaccinated, uh, joined Team Pfizer, uh, and I did go jogging today in the park. Uh, and I did, this was the mask that I wore with a doctor's mask under it. And most of the people that I saw that were in the park, the park was packed. I would say like 95% of the people still had masks on. There are people who are getting really upset about that. I won't name them. She, when she, at the very end, when she says there's people that are getting upset, I won't name them. She's probably referring to Tucker Carlson. I know Tucker Carlson took some heat because he said it's almost like child abuse with uh, making children wear masks outside and that you should call the cops for child abuse. I don't, I think he was trying to kind of be edgy, exaggerating a little bit. I don't think it was that big of a deal, but I know the media went after him for that one. Uh, now, this is what we're seeing is it's kind of just, like I said, it's we're making other people take away we're taking away other people's liberty to make us feel comfortable that's really what these people are doing these people are cowardly they're doing it to their children they are perpetuating this everlasting idea of fear that will never end even when vaccinated it'll never end even when your chances are 0 0.005 of or 0 0.05 of a percentage point which is something like one in 10,000 or five in 10,000 people um five in 10,000 of contracting covid and then the death death rates are even lower than that once you've already been vaccinated. So to kind of tie everything together, I have this very, I have this clip. We actually had some pro-life organization get into, and this is amazing, I'm surprised this even happened. Pro-life organization got into the press meeting to ask the press secretary about abortions and how, you know, the American people's taxpayer dollars are going to abortions. Uh, play two. Abortions in the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, the leaders of the president's uh, own faith, said in reaction, it is deeply offensive, quote, to millions of Americans for our tax dollars to be used for research that collaborates with an industry built on the taking of innocent lives. How does the White House respond to that criticism? Uh, look, I, I think the White House specific, or, uh, respectfully disagrees, and we believe that it's important to invest in science and uh, and look for opportunities to cure diseases, and I think that's what this is hopeful to do. Go ahead. Oh, good. You'll notice uh, that the left, in, in a general sense, when it comes to abortion, they really do avoid the argument because I think they're actually very aware of what it is they're doing. So what he's asking essentially is Planned Parenthood, why are taxpayer dollars being funded to Planned Parenthood? They take the lives of children every single year. Her answer is to avoid that question. And then even, even more pathetically, she goes on to talking about research and development. So, so you're not even going to, first off, you're not even going to address the first notion or the first question from you. And if you're actually addressing the question and you're saying research and development, are you insinuating that the killing of babies is research and development and it's supposed to find new healthcare alternatives and solutions i just don't i just don't get but that that speaks to all of this from the left all of this mask policy um you're gonna have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good of the rest of us 
that's the way the left looks at things. They go, oh, okay, yeah, we can kill the child. We can kill the child because it's sacrificing the child for the lives of everybody else around, the mother, uh, the baby daddy, what have you. Uh, their ideology, their idea is, oh, well, you don't want that baby to grow up out of, in poverty. And if that's the case then, then you really legitimize the idea of just nuke bombing every single big city that is impoverished area. Anyone that's, like, if that is your determination on whether someone should be killed or not is, oh, they might grow up in poverty and end up being unsuccessful, then why don't you just line up all of the people that are unsuccessful by your definition or impoverished? There's no other... If that's your reasoning, and that's usually what the left's reasoning is, the left is always like, "Well, you don't want the baby to, to grow up in a poor, impoverished, uh, you know, situation, and you don't want a mother to have to care for their child because you know that's that can really change their life." And and um, so essentially, like, oh, the mom doesn't want to take responsibility now, and I think that men should take responsibility 100%. I think men should stand by their children, whether you're married or not. You should stand by your child. You should protect your child. You should be there to um, be the be the person that funds your child's life but it's it's this is idea that there's no accountability anymore and that's we've been moving further and further towards that there's no accountability in terms of dealing with the police there's no accountability in terms of having your child uh the accountability is to the state with educating your child and you're not to ask any questions and we want your child now to have an extra four years of of preschool so next what i have i have this story about uh rudy giuliani i don't exactly know the Specific facts of the case, things are kind of still coming out, but what it seems like and what Rudy Giuliani's claiming that this is like a police state hit, kind of like they did to General Mike, General Mike Flynn, Roger Stone. Uh, I have a Washington Examiner piece explaining it. I'm trying to look for the author now. I missed that earlier, I guess, when I found the initial uh, source. It is written by Kaylin Deese. So it states, former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani said Thursday he never, ever represented any foreign national after the FBI raided his apartment and seized his electronic devices earlier this week. Giuliani, who served as former President Donald Trump's personal attorney, has reportedly been eyed by federal authorities over whether he illegally lobbied the previous administration in 2019 on behalf of Ukrainian officials and oligarchs while searching for damaging information on Trump's political rivals, including President Joe Biden, then the leading candidate for the Democratic presidential nomination. So, the the federal authorities got this, this warrant, I guess, to take all of his electronical equipment or his electrical, I don't know specifically exactly what it says, his electric... I don't know, whatever electric evidence he has. And they're say, stating this because he was lobbying. They, they, this is their claim. He was lobbying in Ukraine in 2019. Um, or he was lob lobbying in Ukraine on behalf of Ukrainian officials and oligarchs while searching for damaging information on Trump's political rivals. And that's the claim. So they took all of his information, whatever. I don't think they're really going to find anything here. And they're saying because you didn't, if you represented yourself as a foreign national, you'd have to go, I think, into the FISA court. You would actually have to get like a specific, let everybody know that that's what you're doing. And they're saying he didn't do that. Now, I don't really think any of this is, I don't think he was lobbying. I just don't think it's true. But they're going to try to do something to him for sure. They they weaponized the FBI. Obama, he weaponized the IRS. This is straight out of Obama's playbook. He weaponized the FBI against Mike Flynn. 
and caught him with nothing. So now they're just going to drag out Rudy Giuliani now for the next couple of years, probably until he dies, maybe, or until he spends so much money that he's destitute defending himself against the federal government. Because remember, guys, the federal government, they have almost a monopoly on money. They have a monopoly on power. They have a monopoly on uh, use of force. Uh, they have a monopoly on the the money to pay legal fees to try to prosecute Rudy Giuliani in this case. So Giuliani also made allegations about the Justice Department focusing on a time when it was run by Attorney General William Barr under the Trump administration and claiming the agency secretly obtained access to his iCloud account. So while Trump was the president, the FBI was going after him. So he stated... He states, and I quote, The DOJ told my lawyer they secretly went into my iCloud account in 2019. Who else are they spying on? You? Question uh, mark. And this is him tweeting. Next he states, and I quote, The DOJ in late 2019 covertly obtained access to my iCloud and never notified me. They invaded the attorney-client relationship as we were defending against the phony impeachment. These prosecutors violated the laws, not me. If, again, nothing is done, you could be next, end quote. So what he's saying is, if they're able to weaponize the FBI as they did against Trump in the campaign, they did against Mike Flynn, and now they're doing it against Rudy Giuliani, if this is the case, if what he's stating is the case, then they can do it against anybody. Uh, this is directly in violation of the Fourth Amendment is also, like you said, it's in violation of the the client relationship privilege that they're not supposed to look to obtain, you know, uh, faulty warrants. And, and to begin with, I don't even know what this warrant really is on. The warrant could be legit. But the problem is, is why, why it's not legit. It kind of shows it's a political attack. Giuliani talks about it on Tucker. I have a clip from there, but first... This, this idea, this iCloud, breaching the iCloud account is completely unconstitutional. There's nothing that uh, legitimizes that. But, yeah, so, so this Giuliani clip, he's on Tucker, and he explains that the evidence that he has, that they just took from him, confiscated from him, is exculpatory. And more importantly, just listen to what the FBI left out when they went to uh, take all of this, all this evidence about i'd say seven or eight electronic items of mine which is what they took and and two of someone else's i uh, th they weren't taking the three hard drives which of course are electronic devices they just mimic the the computer i said well don't you want these and they said what are they i said those are hunter biden's hard drives and they said no 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 no, no. i said are you sure you don't want them i mean the the warrant required them to take it and they said no and I, one last time, I said, don't you think you should take it to And they said, no. Now, uh, Hunter Biden's hard drives fall within the scope of the subpoena. The subpoena required them to take all electronics, but they decided to leave that behind. And they also were completely content to rely on my word that these were Hunter Biden's hard drives. I mean, they could have been Donald Trump's. They could have been Vladimir Putin's. They could have been anybody's. But they relied on me, the man who had to be raided in the morning, uh, because I, well, I'm going to destroy the evidence. I've known about this for two years, uh, Tucker. I could have destroyed the evidence years a year. I didn't destroy the evidence because the evidence is exculpatory. So if everything that Giuliani says is true in this case, 
then this looks like a real political hit job because they don't even want to take the Hunter Biden laptop hard drives, which from what I've heard is, is horrid, is disgusting, is despicable. And really at this point, this story has been going on, this Hunter Biden story has been going on for a good part of almost a year, what, like maybe eight, nine months at this point, and the media really isn't heavily reporting it. I don't think this is actually ever going to get out. I think maybe it'll slowly trickle out eventually, but I, I really don't think it'll ever, ever actually fully get out to the public. And it really is uh, this this world, this this country that we're living in has just gotten so so insane and so extreme very quickly and almost at an exponential rate. Where we have the FBI. Now, another story I have from the Daily Mail. The FBI combed through NSA's trove of Americans' communication without a warrant in its search for racially motivated violent extremists when it was already warned the practice was unconstitutional. This is a Daily Mail piece written by Bevan Hurley. So in this case, the FBI went through the NSA's data with communications without a warrant. So this is unconstitutional to begin with. And this is all because of the Patriot Act. They make it, th they, it makes them think it has blurred the lines. There's created kind of a gray-like area where they think that this is constitution. Even with no warrant to begin with, it's not constitutional. So now they were warned by a judge that this wasn't constitution, and they, con and they continued to do it. And this is the more important part about it, and I'm going to read into it here. Uh, the FBI searched troves of communication sucked up by the National Security Agency, as in the NSA, for information on racially motivated violent extremists without a warrant. Ignoring previous warnings, it was breaking the law. The FBI's request for access to masses of electronic communications harvested by the National Security Agency is revealed in a newly declassified uh, report from the United States' Secret Surveillance Court, which I would assume is probably the FISA Court. It shows the FBI has continued to perform warrantless searches through the NSA's most sensitive databases for routine criminal investigations, despite being told by a federal judge in 2018 and 2019 that such a use was an unconstitutional breach of privacy. The FBI focused many of their warrantless of its warrantless searches, commonly referred to as backdoor quarries, on suspected far-right domestic extreme uh, domestic terrorists, the Daily Beast reported. So, if you notice, there's always a motivation is always going. If you if you start to notice this now, we have Antifa has been pretty much running the big cities straight into the ground. Antifa and BLM, mostly Antifa, uh, they are a terrorist organization. They're not treated as such. They're not really being investigated by the FBI on the same level that the far right is. The far right extremists are apparently from from what from what they think and what they say, but they still can't obtain a warrant to actually find it. So who even knows if there's a probable cause to be searching these people to begin with? There could actually be no ties to white supremacy, to far right domestic terrorism, as they as they state. You know, uh, it shows the FBI is like a the FBI almost used to be like a revered organization where people took it seriously. FBI, CIA, when, when they said, oh, I work for the FBI, people would say, wow, man, that's really cool. Even the ATF people thought that as well. Then you realize there's the Waco. There's FBI uh, running after Trump, going after everybody. It's it's now used as a political law, like enforcement arm of whoever is running, whoever's running the government. But. Really, it's just the Democrat Party because the Democrat Party is the one running the FBI. They're the top notch. They're these these um, I guess the leading, the directors or what have you, the citizen, the citizen law enforcement officers. So here's the most important part 
to take from this the most significant part it's unclear from the heavily redacted foreign intelligence surveillance act the fisa court report whether the fbi uncovered any criminal extremist behavior or made any arrests resulting from the searches in its gathering of foreign communications data the nsa often sweeps up americans's communications too it's unclear how many Americans had their data reviewed by the FBI in its search for racially motivated extremists. The FISA report did reveal that a single request for data to the NSA from an FBI analyst for information on a suspected domestic terrorist returned 33 hits. So this entire case, they don't even know. They, they legit don't even know if this has helped them in any way. They just obtained a bunch of data illegally against unconstitutionally of the American people. And it's unclear how much of Americans data was given over people that have nothing to do with racially motivated extremism. They have nothing to do with it. We don't know how many people, how, how much their information has been taken and confiscated by the government. And in trying to gather foreign communication data, they were picking up Americans communication. Obviously, they're muddying the waters. So we have no idea what the government really... At this point, the government is searching everything that we do. We should, we should take it with a grain of salt. Every single thing that you're doing, if it's on the internet, if it's any type of communications through text message, unless if you're legitimately sitting in your home with you know no camera on you, that's the only time that you're truly private. Now we're seeing the idea of where the private and the public life are kind of starting to bleed into each other with these ideas of social scoring systems over in China. Uh, they're kind of starting to bring and implementing those type of policies here where nothing's off limits. The government sees every little thing that you're doing in your private life. So it goes on. It's not clear how many other requests were tied to the hunt for allegedly racist motivated extremists, nor who at the FBI asked for the data or approved the request. A senior FBI official told DailyMail.com the FBI had taken numerous steps to comply with the FISA court guidance over the past 18 months. The official wouldn't answer other questions on specifics and referred questions to the NSA and the Office of Director of the Director of National Intelligence. So they really, there's no transparency. They do whatever they want and they just say, oh, well, that, that information is, you know, top, top secret confidential and you don't get any of it. The Freedom of Information Act, we're not getting any information. You have Daily Mail asking them questions. They won't give any information out. So they have the right just to take your stuff from you, take all of your information. And then when you ask, hey, this is my information. Can I, can I see what you're doing here? Is there some sort of transparency or accountability on your part? There is none. The government does whatever they want. In this case, and this is a serious. This is a a serious existential problem to public liberty or private liberties, as an American citizen, your rights to privacy. And that will um, conclude this this show, the main part. I have a couple quick headlines. I have these false claims by Biden during his 100 days. Like I said, the Washington Post piece, you can read through that. It's got the Pinocchios and everything. Some pretty egregious stuff on there. Uh, especially most of it is actually the Georgia voting records, the, the Georgia voting laws that were passed through. He lied and they, he was getting like four Pinocchios on every single comment that he made there. So the FDA is moving to ban menthol flavored cigarettes. Uh, that's another one I had. I, I just don't, I don't really understand the point of it. It's like, I don't know. I, I really just don't have any comment. I just think it's just authoritarian, totalitarian. They're just taking more away from people and I'm not, I'm not a smoker or anything like that. It just doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like discrimination in a way as well. 
But I want to I want to go out on a uh, on a good note. You have a college student from Cypress College uh, stands up to our neurotic professor. Play six. Well, I agree with you on that point of they should, right? So what is and your bottom line point? You're saying police officers should be revered, viewed as heroes? They I, go I long on TV shows with children? That's I think okay. they are heroes in a sense because they come to your need and they come and help you and they have a problem just like every other business, but we should fix that. But I think they're, they're heroes. Well, they're, I think that's the problem is looking at it as a business because they're actually supposed to protect and serve the people. They not do the protect public. us. Who do we call when we're in trouble and someone has a knife or a gun? We I wouldn't call the call police. police. Why wouldn't you call the police? I don't trust them. My life's in more who danger. Who would you call? In their presence. Professor, who would you call? I wouldn't call anybody. Well, would you have, I'm if someone intruded your house with a gun, what would you, would you have a gun on you or no. who would you call? It's my time to go. Okay. okay. I'm not going to be talking with a gun. There's not much you can do with that the police is kind of just you know and i know that it's not popular for me to say that to you guys and, and people in here but that's what i believe about the police okay and, thank you i appreciate um, it thank you thank guys you very much. for listening to my point i appreciate it thanks i will say yeah i'm glad you did say that even if i disagree with you it's important yeah, that and I, we should fight for the right for people to say things that we don't even like right i may not agree with what you say but i'll fight for your right to say it amen brother. within some amen. extent i'll say okay folks we are so what you have is you have the college professor getting triggered in this case. All the guy says is he thinks cops are heroes. He thinks cops do a lot of good things. Yeah, there's some bad apples. There's ones that don't do the right things. But for the most part, he thinks they're heroes. He thinks that most of the time, probably 99% of the time, they're doing the right thing. And then the uh, the professor goes on to say, oh, well, well what did... I don't think that I, I feel safer without a cop. I would never call a cop. Okay, so what happens if somebody comes into your house and wants to do you harm? Do you have a gun on you to protect yourself? No, I don't. Okay, so then what? Who are you going to call? Like, who, like legit, legit question. Who are you going to call in that case? She's like, well, I wouldn't call the police. And then she goes, okay, we're done. This is over. Because she doesn't, because she knows her argument's fallacious and it's a joke. And then the other guy that's in there is another classmate. And his response is, well, you know, if the person's already in the house, calling the cops at that point's pointless. What? So what do you do then? I, I guess I guess you just don't do any. You just don't do anything. You just die. I guess. I guess you just let the person come to your house and just murder you because you, because you don't want to call the police because you're just so you're so arrogant and spiteful that you don't want. to... And realistically, folks, is the answer when this person's fearing for their life, they're gonna they're gonna dial nine one one and they're gonna request the police to come over and handle the situation. That's really what's gonna end up happening. They're just lying. They have no conviction. They don't stand for them for anything because it'd be di it'd be a totally different case if these people were like proud gun owners and they said something like, "Yeah, well, you know, I have firearms to protect myself in my home." They didn't say anything like that. They're just like, "Well, you know, I wouldn't call the cops and I'm a and I'm a far leftist, so I don't believe in firearms rights either. So I guess I would just have to like get killed by the person that broke into my home." And even the guy at the very end, uh, his classmate, and I know that, you know, this is college, the college professor, it is pretty reprehensible. There's really no excuse to be made for the college professor. She's just a pathetic leftist that has no conviction. It's not really good at arguing. Didn't really fully think through or critically think about her own political positions. And then when she got called out for it, she didn't have an answer. So she, she just ended the class. And the other kid, the very end goes, you know, you know, I'll fight for your right to say it. And he goes, you know, within, within reason, which is very, uh, that's very subjective. What do you mean within reason? He could pretty much say anything he wants, uh, with the exception of calling for violence. 
saying, oh, well, within reason, so what? If you disagree with what he has to say about health care, then that's okay. You could shut him down. He doesn't have a right to speak. I just don't, this, 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 ide- this ideology is just deranged. This leftist ideology is absolutely deranged. And I actually had, and I totally forgot about this, I had a article, and I'm going to have to get to a next show, about how white liberals have higher rates of mental illness. Because, like I said, liberalism is a cancer on society. It is a mental illness. Uh, so that will end this show. I guess I'm going to have to hit on that one next show. I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. Please like, share, subscribe, let people know about the show. Drop the mic on any conservatives, even liberals, if you want to change their mind over. I don't know if I'm really that unifying message, but I will give you conservative content You know, twice a week. I'll have another show up on Wednesday. Uh, Everyone enjoy their weekend, and I will see you all on Monday. Thank you.